following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. You know, when you go to a new church always to try to preach, it makes it mind-boggling for me to even think, okay, who are the people going to be that's there? What do they need to hear? And the sad thing is, okay, if the Lord doesn't direct you and give you the information of what you need to preach, then you're not certain if you're doing the right thing. But you know what? The Lord gave me this sermon to preach, and I think it's going to be worth hearing. Let's put it that way, okay? Hopefully we can understand what, what Paul has written or Matthew has written for us in the verses of chapter 12, verses 22 through 45. Now, we're not going to read all of them at one time because I think it's too much for us to take in. But I'm going to break it in three sections. And what I want you to understand, the first thing about it is the fact that teacher Jesus is a master teacher. Okay, and we all know that. But listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 7, verse 16. He says, my teaching is not mine, but he is who sent me. In other words, Jesus does not speak anything unless the Father gives him the words to speak. And that's something that we have to pay attention to. Because knowing that, then Jesus uses all the information that God gives him to teach us what we need to hear. Now, at this time, I can tell you that Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees. And I hate to say it, but they were very religious They were zealous for God, but they did not understand who Jesus was. They didn't realize that the kingdom of God had come to them through the body, embodiment of Jesus in flesh. They didn't see that. They couldn't understand that. The second thing that he has to deal with is the fact that they could not understand that the power of Jesus comes through the Holy Spirit of God. The same spirit that God has. There's only one spirit. There's God the Father, God the Son, but only one spirit that they share. So that sharing of that spirit, when Jesus said, I will give you a helper, that's the same spirit that he gave to us. So it's one spirit. And then the third thing he's going to deal with is the fact that our words are what convict us of either going to heaven or going to hell. Our words. Now, pay attention to what I just said. You can send yourself to heaven or you can send yourself to hell. Jesus says, you're going to convict yourself by your words. So be careful what you say. Now, we're going to get into the first part of it. And we're going to look at verses 22 through 28, where Jesus actually talks about the kingdoms. And you may see me reading from my pages because my print is so much better here than here. My, my bifocals don't work that great anymore is what I'm going to say, okay? All right, it says in verse 22, it says, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the man who was unable to speak talked and could see. And all the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man cast out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, 
and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he has become divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if by Beelzebul I cast out the demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if I cast out the demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, pay attention to what Jesus is doing here. He is dealing with a contrast of kingdoms. The Pharisees state that Jesus cast out demons in a certain way. He says they cast them out by Beelzebul. Now, who in the heck is Beelzebul? And where have you ever heard that before, this statement? There was a prince called Baal. Baalzebul is the Hebrew for the meaning of Prince Baal. And if you remember, Elijah fought the prophets of Baal. Okay, so basically this is the same small g God that they're talking about. But Matthew does this for a specific reason, and I'm going to show that, show that to you in a minute. Baalzebul is spelled B-A-A-L-Zebul, okay? And then the Hebrews decided that they wanted to make fun of that name, so they called him Baalzebub. Well, that's mocking the name, meaning Lord of the Flies. So they really brought it down to the fact that they're saying, you know what, their, de- their God is dead, and we know that. So he's the God of death. Well, Matthew misspells it on purpose. He puts B-E-E-L. And if you understand what Matthew is doing, E-L in the Bible always stands for God himself. If you think of the word Elohim, okay, and you El Shaddai, there's so many names that you can look at and understand that that's God that they're talking about. But Beelzebul wanted to be God. That means he is Satan in the flesh. Ah, kind of an interesting thing. So their God was Satan. So Jesus is going to tell them, you know what? You're trying to say that I am casting out demons by Satan himself. But he says in verse 25, any kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. So Satan can't fight himself. If he does, then guess what? The kingdom's gone. It's over with. The second thing he says, any city or house divided will not stand. So if you are fighting amongst yourselves in the same place, that will not last. Basically, Jesus says, hey, you can't fight yourself and expect it to stand. So if I'm fighting because of Satan, then you got a problem. Now, in verse 26, he clarifies that part. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus is a master teacher because he's taking everything that God gives him and he says, okay, I'm going to give you some good examples now. This is if-then statements. He's going to make three of them. If Satan cast out Satan, then he is divided against himself and his kingdom cannot stand. So in other words, if I'm doing it for Satan, guess what? We're in trouble because the kingdom's not going to stand. Here's the second one, the if-then statement. If I, meaning Jesus, by Beelzebul, okay, that prince of the demons, we just talked about him, 
If I cast out demons by them, then guess what? Your sons will be casting them out by him also. And, and then they're going to judge you. Okay? Here's the third one. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, ah, that's the one we need to pay attention to, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, let me explain to you what Jesus is saying at this point. He said, you know, Satan fighting himself doesn't make sense at all. So that can't be what's happening. He says, I'm not representing a little dead God called Beelzebub. That's not going to happen either. But if I am representing God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, when I am going to represent God, I'm going to cast out a demon and replace him with a Holy Spirit. Now, if I put a Holy Spirit in you, guess what? The demon can't live within you because you are housing the Holy Spirit. And he will not allow a demon to come back into you. Oh, okay. So now, Jesus is going to talk about the words. What happens in words? All right? In verses 31 through 32, we're going to read and look at that. He says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people. But blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now let's continue in verse 36, if you don't mind. But I tell you that for every careless word that people speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned." Now, let's take a look at what Jesus is actually telling us there. In verse 31, he says, Blasphemy against against the Spirit of God shall not be forgiven. All right, and he goes even further in verse 32, In this age or in the age to come. So in other words, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you're destined for hell. That is the unpardonable sin. Plain and simple. There is no way that you can be saved if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now, what does blaspheming the Holy Spirit consist of? First thing I can tell you is that you deny Christ. If you deny that the Holy Spirit's power is working through Christ and in him doing all the miracles that are happening, then you are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. What did they just say? Jesus isn't casting demons out by the power of God. They're, they're, he's casting them out by the power of Beelzebul. Well, guess what? There is no forgiveness for that. He's flat told him that. Now, at this point, Jesus is making a point that if you are to be saved, you cannot, cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit because it's unpardonable sin. And verse 31, again, he comes back and he says, let me look at the, the words, excuse me, the judgment of the words. Any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven except those against the Holy Spirit. Even the words spoken against the Son of Man, which is Jesus himself, shall be forgiven. So in other words, if you want to say something about Jesus, against Jesus, you can get forgiveness about that. But if you 
blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there is no way you're going to get forgiveness. All right? Verse 36. But every careless word spoken will be accounted for in the day of judgment. Now, let me throw you something out here. There are two different types of judgment. If you are a Christian, you're going to Jesus' judgment. Okay? And I'm going to tell you, it's not a judgment for salvation because you're already saved. If you've made it there, you're already saved because you've gotten to heaven. But Jesus will take account of every single word that we have said and say, okay, instead of a blessing that you could have gotten, you wasted it because of these words. Ouch. I'm stepping on my toes a little bit because I know there's some, some words in background that I don't really want up there, but you know what? They're going to be there. Okay, so we all have to shout. That shadow is there is what I call it. But the next thing he says, by your words, you will be justified or condemned. So if you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit, you made it to heaven and you will be saved. So you are justified in the eyes of God because Jesus has already forgiven you of every sin that you've done. Now, kind of approach them in a hard way, don't you think? He says, first off, y'all don't understand anything about the kingdom of God. Second off, you don't understand that your words are going to hurt you in the process of what you're trying to say. And the third thing that I'm going to tell you about is the fact that the spirits, there are two different types of spirits. And if you're trying to cast out Demonic spirits without the Holy Spirit, you're in major trouble. Let's take a look at that now in verse 43. He says, now when the unclean spirit comes out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they come in and live there, and the last condition of that person becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will be with this evil generation. Now, Jesus explains the fact that if you're going to remove an unclean spirit without the power of the Holy Spirit, there's going to be some problems. First thing. The first state that you're looking at is that the individual has an unclean spirit in him when you approach him, okay, to remove that unclean spirit, that's your problem. The second thing is, when that spirit is taken out of him, where does it go? It goes to the waterless places seeking rest. What are waterless places, and what does that mean for anything? Well, let me explain something to you. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the living water of God because you will never thirst again. You are saved. You have Jesus living in you. Well, guess what? If I've got holy water or living water in me, can the, the demonic spirit come back to me? Not at all. But if you do not put the Holy Spirit in that person when that demon is cast out, then other things are going to happen. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell them. So this demon looks through waterless places. In other words, he doesn't try to inhabit a Christian, a true Christian. He cannot inhabit because they've got the Holy Spirit. But he goes everywhere else looking for a non-Christian, trying to house himself. 
Well, he doesn't find any rest because he may not find one, is what Jesus is saying. So what does he do? He returns to the house of which he came from. So here's the new state of the person after the demon has been removed. It will return to the house that he was cast out of. And when it returns, it finds the house unoccupied, swept, and put in order. So in other words, oh, we can have a party. So he says, I'm going to invite some more demons to come with me. And look what happens later. It goes and it finds seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And here's the third part that's going to really hurt the individual. Because at this point, he becomes filled with evil. If you have seven or eight demons inside of you, how evil can you become? I think that's what we're seeing a lot in the world these days. I mean, people have tried to exercise these demons, but they never replaced it with the Holy Spirit. So what happens? That individual is vulnerable at that point because their soul is empty. And what happens is another demonic spirit can come in or a bunch of demonic spirits can come in. I think of the one that Jesus called legions and how many spirits. There were 2,000 spirits in that gentleman. Can you imagine how horrible he was and evil he could have been? Well, they go in and live there. The last state of this man becomes worse than it was before. So this is the way it will be with this evil generation unless they believe that the Spirit of God is who Jesus' power comes from. Now, let's take a look at that real close. Jesus says, unless you change your attitude towards Jesus himself, you have a problem. You have a major problem. From this, we can see that unless salvation occurs, meaning the infilling of the Holy Spirit, when a demon is removed from an individual, they can be worse off than when the first demon was in them initially. Now, why is Jesus telling these three things to the Pharisees? Why is he trying to do this? First off, he talked about the kingdom of God. The only way to enter the kingdom of God is through Jesus himself. I am the way, the life, and the truth. I am the way. Okay, plain and simple. So in other words, there's no other way besides Jesus. So he wanted to make sure that they understood that he represented God in his teaching. And his teaching was the fact that they needed to accept him as Savior. That's the first thing. What's the second thing? He said, you know what? Don't curse the Holy Spirit. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you will never be able to be saved because it's an unpardonable sin. So be careful of what you're approaching and how you're talking about what Jesus is doing. There's no other power but God's Holy Spirit power that Jesus can do the work by. If he does it by anything else, it's not worthy of anything. Okay, let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to do something on your own? I'm sure we've, uh, we could admit that we've had some major failures in our lifetime, right? More than we want to count sometimes, right? So all I'm saying is that without the Holy Spirit's power involved in it, it's going to fail. 
Because human, humans are evil to the core. I hate to tell you all that, but that's fact. Now, Jesus knew this, and he was trying to educate them to the point that they needed salvation. Yes, they were religious. Yes, they were zealous for God. But if they didn't have Jesus, they didn't have anything. You cannot become righteous unless you have faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? So the kingdom, for you to enter, you have to know Jesus Christ. All right? Here's the second thing. Your words will either get you in or get you locked out. Here's the third thing. The only way for you to get in is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to be called by the Holy Spirit to come to the Savior who you need. Jesus is very plain in what he was saying, but he goes in a roundabout way because God wants them to learn it on their own. Jesus is trying to teach them. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you picked up the Bible and said, well, I don't understand this passage. I'm not really sure what this means. But you know what? What is God trying to do to you? He's trying to get you to go and research and say, hey, I'm going to look to find out what this means. Because I think it would be important for me to know this. Sometimes we do, and sometimes we hesitate, Right? Sad thing is, if you hesitate, the Holy Spirit is not going to push you. He's not going to say, hey, you got to do this. No, that's on you. He's allowing you to make the choice of what you're doing with it. The sad thing is, though, there's a phrase in the Bible that says, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, Jesus is telling people, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And verse 23 says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You practice lawlessness. If Jesus is saying that somewhere in the process of them Coming to salvation, blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Because what is the only unpardonable sin that we know of? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is turning away those that never accepted him as Savior. The sin of unbelief is the same as blaspheming the Holy Spirit. We need to make that plain tonight. If you don't know Jesus personally, you need to know Jesus personally. Because that is the only way to enter into the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus was very plain to the Pharisees. He said, you don't know anything about the kingdom of God. Because if you understood the kingdom of God, first off, in Matthew 7, excuse me, John 7, 17, it says, If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. Now, the title of my sermon was, Who are you following, God or Satan? And I think, Sylvia, put it in there, Who are we following, God or Satan? But it applies either way. But who are you personally following? Here's my question. 
you, can you decide if God's speaking to you or if Satan's speaking to you? Let me ask you a question. If you have seen a Christian or you think the person was a Christian and he came and he gave his life to Christ and you saw that, that act of him doing that, you saw him get baptized as a Christian and he looked like a Christian for a little while. But then he backslid and started going backwards. Who is that Christian serving? Is he paying attention to God and his will? No. Because you see him doing things like sometimes they fall into traps or the devil's candy, which is drugs, or the one sip of the alcohol that turns him into an alcoholic. And you can go on and on with all those things that I can say that we fall back into. I mean, I hate to say this world offers all kind of, of demons that you can get trapped with. So that Christian no longer looks like a Christian, but they were saved. They gave their heart to Jesus. The sad thing is, they're not in the will of God at this point. So how does God tolerate them being that way? That's a major question, right? Sad thing is, people that are on the outside seeing this happen with a Christian, they've got a question, well, were they really saved or are they just not following God's will? Sad thing is, okay, there comes a time when God says, hey, you're useless to me. So what does God do with that? If you're not useful to God, why are you still here? He's given you an opportunity to, to come back to him. And he keeps calling and he keeps calling and he keeps calling until finally one day he's going to say, okay, enough. And what happens then? You've wasted your entire life of all the blessings that you could have had in heaven. And guess what? Yes, you're still saved. But that's all. There's no blessings that you can lay at Jesus' feet when you get up there. So Jesus is very plain in telling us, watch your tongue. Watch your tongue. Be careful what it's saying. Be careful what it's doing to the other person that you're talking to. Rely on the Holy Spirit for the words that you need. Follow the will of God when you become a Christian. Let other people see the fact that you are. But how do we keep on that straight and narrow path? I hate to tell you, unless you're talking to God regularly, you got a problem. Because it's so easy. The straight and narrow path, okay, I can follow it. The sad thing is, oh, this, yeah, I'm going to take a left turn here. No, I'm going to take a right turn here because I see these diversions that can pull me away from God. You know, if you have hobbies, some people like camping, some people like gardening. There are a lot of things that you could do, like go fishing on a Sunday morning or go play golf. A lot of people like that. Uh, all these things, if they take you away from God, then they're no good for you. You need to be in touch with God on a regular basis to understand that righteousness that God gives you is for the usefulness of God's purpose. 
God's purpose. Now, I can't do too much more with this, I don't think, tonight. But I hope you saw the fact that the Pharisees, yeah, they looked like really religious, upright people. But what did Jesus tell them? If you don't know me, you don't get in the kingdom of heaven. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you definitely will not get into heaven. And the third thing is, you are the one that is supposed to represent who I am. If your words don't match up with what you're trying to say, you've got a problem. Because Jesus will judge that. So every careless word that we speak, he's going to look at. It's not the best message because it steps on all of our feet, I hate to tell y'all. But you know what? It clarifies the fact that if you are a Christian, you should desire to do God's will. It clarifies it very well. And don't be just religious to the point that you're just religious for that purpose of being religious. That doesn't work. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.